All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hi, it's Manoush, and this is New Tech City. And looking back on 2013, there were two stories that really stuck with me. So they're getting an encore this week. It's the holiday season, and you probably bought or opened a gift that was ordered from this man, Jeff Bezos, the founder and CEO of Amazon. Companies come and go. I would love for it to be after I'm dead. (laughs) You know, you just want to steer way clear of, uh, of Amazon's future roadmap. Brad Stone is his unofficial biographer, and he tells us about Bezos's aspirations for space travel and Bezos's slightly shady tactics for upending the way we buy everything here on Earth. But first, I want to share with you again the investigation I did in August into how technology can or can't change the way we talk to the people around us. No, not our friends, our family, or even our co-workers, but our neighbors. That's me. I've been living on this block 31 years, on this block, around the corner, the rest of my life, you know? The woman you just heard is my neighbor, Joe. So that's all I ever did was sit on the stoop with the kids. Joe spends a lot of her time on the stoop of her apartment building, sitting in her green canvas folding chair, smoking cigarettes, and keeping tabs on our block in Brooklyn. I have absolutely no idea what Joe does for a living. We aren't Facebook friends or LinkedIn. But I do know that her daughter's home in Staten Island was flooded by Sandy and that when he was little, her son Jeffrey was very late to potty training. I've been thinking about Joe because the city of New York wants me to be in touch with her and all the rest of my neighbors online, too. In June, Mayor Bloomberg announced a partnership between New York and a service called Nextdoor. We noticed that there was no social network to help us stay in touch with the people who are literally right outside our front doors, our neighbors. Nirav Tolia is Nextdoor's CEO and helped found the site three years ago. It's basically Facebook for neighborhoods, but with more of a local and utilitarian bent. One way to think about it is... If you do have a dog and you lose the dog, what do you do? You print out a bunch of flyers and you start putting them up on telephone poles. That's very, very, very inefficient. It would be much better if you had a picture of your dog, you attached it to a message on next door, and in just a few minutes you could get the word out to everyone in the neighborhood. The company is based in San Francisco, and since going live in 2011, it says more than 17,000 neighborhood websites have been launched. These are private neighborhood websites just for your specific neighborhood where you know that the other people you're communicating with are your actual neighbors. It's unclear how Nextdoor is going to make money. It doesn't have ads, and cities don't pay to use it. Okay, so I'm going to check next door out for myself. I am going online, and I am now officially the fourth member of the Carol Hoyt Nextdoor website, and I'm going to take the service up on its offer to send postcards, real ones, to 10 of my neighbors and invite them to sign up too. 
Okay, other than a couple of messages from the city about heat advisories, there's not much to see yet. So I asked Nextdoor to put me in touch with someone in another city who's really into using the service so that I can better understand what exactly is on offer. Meet Mindy Rice in Cincinnati. I grew up here and I have never lived anywhere else. We live in a small community here in Cincinnati called Clifton. We actually live in the house that my husband grew up in. And you're describing that and it kind of makes me wonder why a service like Nextdoor would be of any use to you because you probably know your neighbors pretty well. Well, you know, you would think so, but at first I decided to become a member so that I would get to know my neighbors better, whether we needed a referral for landscaping or we needed to borrow something or even for crime alerts or lost pets. Well, then a few months into it, we noticed that people were starting subgroups and they were creating book clubs, a cycling club, a conversation salon. So it was also helping people to physically meet up. I think people do want to connect, but everybody's just busy. Mm. And this just gave kind of an outlet for people to express a desire to get together online and see how their neighbors would respond. And fortunately, Clifton responded very well to it. Okay. Well, I got to say, my Brooklyn neighborhood does not sound like Clifton. We have Italian immigrant families, lots of public housing, all mixed in with hipsters and yuppies. At this point, I check back in on my Nextdoor website. One more person has signed up. I get an email warning me that there's only a few days left to get the 10 members needed, a minion in Nextdoor terms, to be legit. No one has responded to any of my invitations. How can I get people to join other than being weird and stalking them? Every time I would go to a stoop sale with kids stuff, you have families, you want me to sign you up. My neighbor downstairs had 40 members of her mommy group, and she signed those people up, and they signed their friends up. This woman knows. Susan Fox is the founder of one of the biggest online communities in Brooklyn, Park Slope Parents. Eleven years ago, she was a new mom and appalled at all the baby junk, like bouncy seats and toys, that she saw being put out with the trash. So she initially launched the site to get parents recycling. It takes a while. We have 5,000 active members, but we started very slowly. Now the site has dozens of subgroups, helps parents with career networking, gives advice on what to pay your nanny. I ask her how Nextdoor can possibly gain ground around here. People are busy. They have other resources. There's the Civic Park Slope Civic Council. There's Park Slope Parents. Is there a motivation for Bob down at 444 12th Street to say, I want to join this community? And there's some reward for people to be a part of this. You are reaching people at a very crucial moment in their lives when they are open and they need something. They've just become parents. They are vulnerable. But what strikes me with next door is there's no sort of impetus. It almost needs like another sort of disaster for people to think that they need it, God forbid. If we would have had next door during Hurricane Sandy, would it have been an easier vehicle to get all this information out? And my guess is yes. After interviewing Susan, I check, again, to see if anyone else has signed up. One more person. I keep thinking about what Nirov told me. The research shows that if you use an online mechanism to connect with your neighbors, you're 70% more likely to communicate with those neighbors in person. Meanwhile, my husband makes friends with the father of two across the street, who volunteers to help try and get our old refrigerator out the front door. Unsuccessfully, I might add. 
I go back to Joe, the unofficial mayor of my street. Would she sign up for next door? I probably would if I was a computer person, but I'm always outside. I'm never on the computer. But I should add that it was Joe who told me about the laptop that was stolen out of the window of the restaurant down the street. And she was the one that recommended I check out the new playground at Brooklyn Bridge Park. Thanks, Joe. You're welcome. Okay, so here's what's happened since that piece aired in August. Nextdoor says it's now in more than 25,000 neighborhoods across the country, and it's still working with New York City. But so far, a total of 17 people have signed up from my neighborhood. The Everything Store, Jeff Bezos and the Age of Amazon, is the name of journalist Brad Stone's book. Stone says he was given unprecedented access to current and former Amazon employees and Bezos family members. What he found out made me never want to work at Amazon. You know, we've all worked at places where, you know, there are high performers and, and, and low performers and where maybe, you know, p- veterans have, have been, some, you know, been somewhere for a long time and kind of coast. And he just never wanted that for Amazon. He, you know, like, like Jobs or Bill Gates, he's, he has a really high standard. And he just relentlessly pushes everyone around him to meet it and to keep innovating. And it makes Amazon, it can be an uncomfortable place to work. And it's also probably responsible for a good deal of its success. I mean, I, you got to say, like, as much, you're sort of spinning it in a nice way right now. But sometimes when I read it, I was like, this guy is a complete jerk. Like in meetings saying to people, did you take your stupid pills? And just kind of really not just well, pushing right. them, but um, pushing them out. That's right. And that was... You know, the, I, I, every, everyone had a great story and a saying like that, and so I wanted to kind of accumulate the greatest hits. He, he, he can be difficult, but it's, he's also pretty clever in the way he needles his employees. I mean, one of the things you do in the book also is you go back and find Jeff Bezos's biological father, who, who actually had no idea who his son had become. Why did you want to include that in the book? Do you think it sort of demonstrates... Um, a greater story or or tells us something more about Bezos's personality or how he got to where he is or was it just sort of just interesting to know well i th- you know it was a missing piece for sure i mean he had always sort of confessed that he never knew his biological father i thought it interesting that you know so many of our political and cultural leaders and a lot of our most famous athletes have these sort of unusual circumstances around their early lives it's sort of unknowable whether it kind of contributes to the relentless need to prove oneself. But, you know, Bezos had this, you know, similar circumstance where his biological father left his life when he was three. And it was unclear to me what we, what I would learn. Uh, I mean, one of the more interesting aspect, facts that I learned when I went and, and found this guy uh, running a bike shop outside of Phoenix is that he had the famous Jeff Bezos laugh. Oh, jeez, uh, that's scary. You know, and he, he, he didn't know what had happened to his, uh, his, his child, and he, he was very regretful about it. I mean, I have to say the takeaway that I got is that one of the most revolutionary things about Jeff Bezos is that he doesn't have the next quarter's earnings in mind. Unlike a lot of companies who, when they go public, they just they're continuously have to play to their investors. He is truly about playing the long game. Do you think that that has been the reason why? Do you think that investors have sort of accepted that? A lot of a lot of CEOs give lip service to the long game. I mean, they almost all say it. Bezos is allowed to do it. His shareholders do permit it. 
And it's it's unusual and probably pretty infuriating for Amazon's uh, rivals. And he's allowed to do it because he's kind of proved himself so many times and gone through the fire of, of you know, the dot-com bust and has essentially basically called his shots since then. I mean, Amazon has delivered on its projections when it says it's going to reinvest and build new fulfillment centers. And but they're come still out not making money, right? They're still not making money, right? I would actually say they're hiding their profit. We know, we know it's a profitable company. And for the last few years, um, they've basically said, we're going to seize what we see as a new opportunity, which is to build these massive, expensive fulfillment centers outside a lot of major American cities and also grow internationally. So they did lose money last year. But the incredible thing is that its stock price is at an all-time high. So it's a real paradox and a reflection of how much faith that investors have in Bezos. I mean, the one example that you give that really resonated with me, um, you talk about diapers.com, and I was a diapers.com customer when I had my two kids. And you talk about the way that Jeff Bezos pretty much said, you know what, we want to acquire them, and until until they relent, essentially, we're going to sell diapers at a major loss for the company. They were basically giving diapers away, <laughs> if you think about it. That's right. And they burned much... the fields. I mean, it was they were they were ruthless tactics, and they worked. And diapers was a force to sell. And Amazon outmaneuvered Walmart to buy them. And the, there's a couple of lessons there. One is, you know, Amazon can be a dangerous competitor. And two is, if you're an e-commerce upstart, you know, figure out what you can do that really can't be copyable. Because, you know, at this point, Amazon's got the scale and the relentlessness and the ruthlessness to come and undercut you if they're interested in your market. I mean, ironically, that seems like it might debilitate some entrepreneurial efforts here in the United States. Well, I guess there's the... Um, there's that potential, um, but we really haven't seen it over the last few years. I mean, remarkably, you know, there's almost a, a new boom in e-commerce upstarts, uh, you know, focused on local or mobile. Um, you know, this might sound, uh, you know, a little too sympathetic to Amazon here, but, you know, it, it, is a, it is a large market and there are lots of approaches. I mean, that said, I think just entrepreneurs have gotten a lot smarter, and if you go into venture capital firms, you know, they treat Amazon like they treated Microsoft in the 90s. You know, you just want to steer way clear of, uh, of Amazon's future roadmap. What is the law? I mean, this is kind of a, a book that comes when we're sort of just seeing the beginning of all of this in a way. What do you think is the long-term goal of Jeff Bezos for Amazon? I think it's to build the, the, the world's largest retailer and, and perhaps even the world's largest company. I mean, his, it's why I call the book The Everything Store. His ambition is, is, is unbridled, and Amazon is expanding in every direction from different kinds of hardware internationally, different product categories. And I also think that there will be a reckoning where, you know, much like the world had to reckon with Walmart and the effect of its discounting and the way in which it pushed manufacturers overseas, I think we'll be spending a lot of time in future years uh, looking at Amazon's macroeconomic impact and, and the consequences for retailers, for other online upstarts, and for mom-and-pop stores. Brad Stone is the author of The Everything Store, Jeff Bezos, and the Age of Amazon. Brad, thank you so much. Thanks. Okay, so as of writing this show, The Everything Store had been reviewed 197 times on Amazon, and half of those reviews were five stars. But there were nine people who gave the book one star. And one of those one-star reviewers wrote, This book is full of techniques which stretch the boundaries of nonfiction, and the result is a lopsided and misleading portrait of the people and culture at Amazon. 
The writer of that review says she knows. She knows because she's been married to Jeff Bezos for 20 years. Mackenzie Bezos has reviewed only two other books on Amazon, Swimming Towards the Ocean and Carry Me Across the Water. She gave them both five stars. Here's hoping you have a five-star holiday season. And thanks so much for listening to New Tech City. Really, we know that things get busy this time of year, and we're so happy to be included in your digital diet. Stay well.